Good morning, Parkway Church. How you guys doing? Good. I am so glad you're here with us as we continue our journey through Scripture together. My name is Mike Hurt. I'm the senior pastor here. And this year at Parkway, our plan is simple. We're opening the Bible and we're walking through it. And today we're going to kick off a new series entitled, The God I Wish You Knew. Before I jump into today's talk, though, I do want to say thanks to Russell and Sam and Jonathan and Hunter for their teaching last week. Didn't they do a great job at each of our locations? Thank you, thank you, thank you, young pastors, so that the old pastor could go watch his son at a Baylor football game. I greatly appreciate their teaching. We had a great weekend as a family, celebrated my birthday, and had a great weekend as a family. It's really cool to see your kid do his thing in front of 45,000 people on a field. It is so, so cool. I mean, Waco is an interesting place. Chip and JoJo have made it cool, but I mean, we were, we, by the way, we got to be at the game with Chip and JoJo. We didn't sit anywhere near them, but they were there. And so, but Waco's kind of weird. I mean, 45,000 Baptists in one place watching a football game. I haven't been around that many Baptists since Luby's closed in the mall. I mean, <laughs> we had a good weekend, though, so it was good. I appreciate the fact that we've got such a great team that we get to go out and enjoy uh, some of that every now and again. So today we're kicking off the series, The God I Wish You Knew, and we're in a section of Scripture where we are going to be studying for the next five weeks the major prophets, and then we're going to look at one of the minor prophets. You see, in the Bible, in the section of Scripture that we're in now, we're entering into a phase of Scripture where there are going to be some truth-tellers, prophets that step in to speak to the people of God. And not only can these prophets speak truth very directly, but these prophets also give us a picture of the future that, that God is working God is using these men as his mouthpiece. And so he's calling his people and he's using these men to, to bring the people of God back to God. And so each week we're gonna look at one of these major prophets and then Russell's gonna wrap up with a look at one of the minor prophets. We're gonna look at the major prophets and then we're gonna just ask this question. Who is the God that they wish we knew? Like maybe you could use the Parkway app. How many of y'all have already downloaded the Parkway app? Look at that. That is amazing. Thank you for doing that. If you didn't download the Parkway app yet at Parkway Port Lavaca, Parkway Lone Tree, even Parkway Online, go ahead and crash the Wi-Fi wherever you are right now and download it. Just crash the whole system. Because what I'd love to hear from you using the app is who God is to you. We've got this little button and you can finish the sentence. You push the button and it's going to send a text to me that says, here's who God is to me. God is because over the next weeks, we're going to see some different character traits and different attributes of God. And these are very personal, powerful attributes. And so as you consider who God is to you, let's learn together today who Isaiah says God is. And the message that Isaiah is going to have for us is that God is holy. Now, holiness is one of those concepts. Holy is one of those words that's very difficult to understand and to grasp even as a believer in Jesus Christ. When I first came to Christ, my student pastor asked me to do two things. He asked me to read the book of 1 John over and over and over again. And so I did it. Every night for 30 days, I read the book of 1 John. And then he encouraged me to be a part of a group. 
And one of the groups that I was a part of studied this book called The Pursuit of Holiness by Jerry Bridges. And what I began to learn as a new believer in Christ is that God is perfect. God is holy. And God wants me to grow in holiness too. That a part of my Christian life, a part of my following Jesus, a part of my changed life in Christ would be that I would be holy like God is holy. You look and you say on the negative, what does holy mean? Well, negative, it would look and say God is separate, not a part of, distant from anything that's sinful. So we start with the perspective that God is set apart from us and our sinfulness. And that anything that's holy is set apart for him. And then we look at it in the positive and say, something that's holy, if it's separate from sin, is 100% committed to God, 100% dedicated to God. And so we look at this picture, and Isaiah's going to draw it for us, that God is holy. He is set apart from our sinfulness. And we can grow in holiness too, 100% committed to him, growing to live and to look more like him each day, each week, each month, each year, each decade. We can grow in holiness. So as you turn to the book of Isaiah, we're going to be in Isaiah chapter 6. Let me give you a little background on the book of Isaiah. Isaiah was written by the prophet Isaiah, and it was written to the people of God who had kind of turned their backs on God. Now, just to be clear, God doesn't want us to turn our backs to him. He wants us to turn our face to him. He doesn't want us to turn away from him. He wants us to turn to him. And the people of God were turning away from him. They were also coming and they were worshiping him in some very meaningless ways. And so they've got this cold relationship with God. They're not trusting him or following him. They're just going through the motions. And, and, and this is a problem. And so God sends Isaiah to, to, to talk to his people with the hopes that they would return to him, with the hopes that they would turn their face to him, with the hopes that they would grow from being cold towards God to being deeply in love on fire for God. That's what the book of Isaiah is all about. And Isaiah is going to say it again and again and again. Our God is holy. The, the God I wish you knew is the God who is holy. So let's, let's jump in together. Isaiah chapter 6. In Isaiah chapter 6, we see a picture of God, and we hear of Isaiah's commissioning or calling to go out and share the message of God. Both of these are so important for us today. In the year that King Uzziah died, Isaiah 6 verse 1, and I remind you that every time there's a person mentioned or a date mentioned in Scripture, it's a reminder that this is a real person in a real place at a real time. This is a real story. Isaiah prophesied from 739 B.C. to 681 B.C., about 50 years. Five kings were uh, like uh, under his prophetic reign, so to speak. And so in the year King Uzziah died, he got a unique view of God. Here it is. I saw the Lord, high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. So Isaiah got a picture of God seated on his throne. And as God was seated on his throne, the robe of God filled the entire temple. The language looking like it was spilling over, filling out the entire 
temple. All that could be seen was filled by the robe, the glory of God. And above him, there were angels that were flying. They had six wings. With two, they covered their eyes. Our God is holy. With two, they covered their feet. With two, they flew. And then they, they sang or they called out to one another. Isaiah 6, 3 through 5. And they were calling to one another. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. Just a moment ago, to each of our campuses, we sang about God's holiness. And when we sing about God's holiness as a congregation, as a church family, we join with the ancients of the faith and sing of God's holiness. We even join with the angels surrounding God's throne and sing of the holiness of God. Here in Isaiah, they said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. Fast forward to the book of Revelation. And the angels are singing, holy, holy, holy is the one who is, was and is and is to come. They are worshiping God for his core attribute of holiness. Listen to what happened, verse four. At the sound of their voices, the doorpost and the thresholds shook and the temple was filled with smoke. See, even God has a smoke machine. But at the sound of their worship, it shook things up. At the sound of their worship, there was an encounter between God and man. And listen to how Isaiah responded to this encounter. Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. What Isaiah gets a glimpse of is who God really is on the throne. He is majestic. He is mighty. He is holy. And his holiness isn't some abstract concept, but instead his holiness leads to a per personal encounter with God. Isaiah, in relationship to God, says, oh, woe to me. I am a man of unclean lips among a people of unclean lips. Isaiah got to see a big picture of God, and what that did for him is it made his view of himself be right and accurate. Think about this with me for a second. If you have a high view of yourself, you're likely to have a low view of God. But if you have a high view of God, then you have the right view of yourself. And that's what Isaiah got a glimpse of in Isaiah chapter 6. He saw God for who he is. And he says, oh, woe is me, I'm ruined. But listen to what God did next. Its story is full of such good news. Then one of the seraphim, Isaiah 6, verse 6. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken from the tongs, or which he had taken with tongs from the altar. An altar is a meeting place with God. So this is what's about to happen here. You're about to have a meeting between God and man with it. Verse 7. He touched my mouth and he said, see this, I've touched your lips. Your guilt has been taken away, your sin atoned for. Let's pause right there. What did Isaiah say was unclean in his life? I am a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips. And so what did God do? God sent an angel with a hot coal and touched his lips. And that angel says, you have been forgiven and your sin atoned for. 
It's a picture of what Jesus would do for us as he gave his life on the cross. I mean, listen to how personal God is to Isaiah. In response to his holiness, Isaiah says, I'm a man of unclean lips. God says, let me clean up your lips. In response to his holiness, Isaiah says, I live in a people that, are, that have unclean lips. He said, let me show you that I can atone and forgive your sins. Let me show you how I can meet your need. And then I heard the voice of the Lord, verse 8. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, here am I, send me. So we see Isaiah get a picture of who God is. And he responds to God and God provides for him. And then there's this little interesting conversation in heaven where God says, whom shall I send and who will go for us? Who's the us? Well, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We see the picture of the full God here on his throne. And who will go for us? Isaiah says, here am I, send me. Some of your translations might say, here I am, send me which is not only him saying, Here is, here's Isaiah, send him, like letting God know where Isaiah is, but that here I am, send me. I am is also a name for God. Remember when God called Moses to free the people? And he said, who should I say has sent me? He said, if they ask, tell them I am has sent you. So Isaiah is saying, here God, send me. Here I am, God, Send me. He had seen who God is, and he knew who he was, and God touched him and changed him, and God would soon use him. One of the things that we see in the book of Isaiah that is such an important theme for your life and mine is that God is great, and we're not, but God bridges the gap between his holiness and our sinfulness. That God sent his son Jesus to die in our place, to give us life, so that we could have a relationship with God. Think about it with me this way. If God is holy and we're not, that distance between the holiness of God and the reality that we live, you know what that's known as? It's known as sin. It's an archer's term. The distance between the perfection of that like bullseye and the, the place where you and I would actually hit the mark if we shot. So if God is perfection and this is where we are, the sin that he forgives is the distance between his perfection and our attempt to live a life that's pleasing to him. So as we look and say that God is holy, realize that God is holy and he is loving the book of Isaiah not only gives us a picture of God's holiness, but gives us one of the most perfect drawings of who God would send to bridge that gap between himself and us, who God would send to take care of our sin. In the book of Isaiah, it was written 700 years before Jesus was born, but it gives us a picture of the Savior, the Messiah, the Christ that God would send. In Isaiah 40, we, we learn that God is going to send a Savior. In Isaiah chapter 7, we learn that the Savior will come via virgin birth. This is going to be a miraculous birth. In Isaiah 61, we learn that Jesus is going to proclaim the good news of God. 
And Isaiah 52 and 53, now get it. This was written 700 years before Jesus came, lived, 700 years before he died at the hands of a Roman executioner, 700 years before he died, it was written that his, his flesh would be torn. It was written that he would go like a lamb led to slaughter. 700 years before he was born, his life and his death were predicted by the book of Isaiah, by the prophet Isaiah. Not only that, but his return to claim his own is predicted in Isaiah chapter 60. So this book was written 700 years before Jesus was born, and yet it nailed it. He was born of a virgin, Mary. He's here to proclaim good news, the kingdom of God. He nailed it. Healings, teachings, miracles, all about proclaiming good news. He proclaimed the good news so clearly that the religious leaders of his day grew jealous and they killed him and they whipped him and they beat him and they took him to the cross like a lamb being led to the slaughter. But he didn't stay dead. The Bible says three days later he was raised again to life because he is God. Friends, when we see the holiness of God on display in the book of Isaiah, we also see the love of God on display in the book of Isaiah. Because God says to us, because I am holy, and you can fill in these two blanks, because I am holy, there is accountability and there is the opportunity to change. Because God is holy, there is accountability between us and God. And because God is holy, there's an opportunity to change. Let's talk about that accountability for just a moment. As people, when we realize that God is holy and we're not, the question becomes, who are you going to trust or believe in to bridge that gap between you and God? Your self-effort, your religious work, your good works cannot bridge the gap. Only the Savior, Jesus Christ, can bridge the gap between you and God. Only Jesus can bridge that gap. Many of us in this room have believed in Jesus for life and say, I know that I'm a sinner and know that he's the Savior. And we'll never be held accountable for our sin before God. The Bible says that sin leads to death. And when you are a believer in Jesus, it's like that coal has touched your lips. You have been forgiven and your sin has been atoned for because Jesus died for you. But can I remind you, believer in Jesus Christ, that you're still accountable to God based on his holiness? God will never judge you based on your sin, but he will judge and reward us, even believers, based on how we've lived our life to honor him after being forgiven. So we are accountable to him. Let me ask you this question, believer. Who is the God that's on the throne of your life right now? Is he the one that Isaiah saw that is mighty and majestic? His robe fills everything that can be seen. Is he the one that the angels worship him and everything shakes? Is he the one that continues to forgive and to lead and to guide you? Who is the God that's on the throne of your life today, believer? Isaiah says, the God I wish you knew, the God I wish you knew was on your throne is holy. And because he's holy, not only are we accountable to him, but there's an opportunity for change in our life. Some of us today should grasp this good news and say, God, I am so glad that you're not spoiled by sin. 
that you are set apart, you are different, you are holy. Because that means as I follow you, as I walk with you, I can be more like you and less like me. Friends, do you realize that if we are a part of a religious expression that all we're doing is following a God who looks like us, there is no reason to be here. There's no reason to worship and follow and obey him because here's the deal. We don't follow God so that we will look more like us. We follow God and obey him as believers in Jesus Christ so that we will look more like him. And if our God was spoiled by sin like you and I have been wrecked by sin, then we wouldn't see change when we follow him. But when we follow him, obey him, depend upon him, change is real and change is what's best for us. So let's get very practical here very quickly. If we're going to grow in holiness, what does that look like? Chuck Colson in his book, Loving God, says this. Holiness is the everyday business of every Christian. It evidences itself in the decisions we make and the things that we do, hour by hour, day by day. So what's it look like, hour by hour, day by day? What's the everyday work of a Christian to grow in holiness? First one is this. Be humbly aware of your forgiveness. When you realize that God is holy and you're not, and that he has forgiven you by giving you his son, there's something special that happens there. Be humbly aware of your forgiveness. Because the more that I'm aware that God has forgiven me, the more that I'm aware that God has bridged that gap, that he is holy and I am not, but his son makes me right with him, the more that I'm aware that I'm forgiven, the more that I will love God. I mean, Jesus even taught it. In Luke chapter seven, Jesus was gathered with some friends and some religious leaders. And there was a woman that came in and this woman was, uh, she had a bad reputation in town. And yet this woman had encountered Jesus. And so she starts crying behind him. And her, feet begin, her, her tears begin to wet his feet. And so she goes and she dries his feet with her hair and she breaks a perfume jar and pours on his feet, anointing him with this perfume that's like a year's salary. And, and other people look and go, does this man not know who's washing his feet? She was the town prostitute. Does this man not know who's washing his feet? And Jesus says, therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has been shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. Do you realize that one of the ways that you fall deeper in love with Jesus is by remembering that you have been forgiven greatly? My pastor, Lon Solomon in D.C., puts it this way. The more a person realizes how much of a sin debt they owe before Almighty God and how utterly bankrupt they are to pay it, the more that person graciously loves God when he forgives them. Now, let's be real clear here for a moment. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, we are all equally forgiven. God has forgiven all of our sins, past, present, and future. We are all equally forgiven. But what Jesus teaches and what we see in Isaiah is that we all don't equally love God. 
Some of us think we've been forgiven little, so how do we love? We love God little. Some of us know that we've been forgiven much, so how do we love God? We love God much. Maybe, just maybe, if you're in one of those seasons where you, you feel like you're turning your back to God and not your face, you feel like you're growing a little cold and not a little hot, maybe it's because you've forgotten how much he's forgiven you of. I've been walking with Jesus since December 27, 1989. I was so acutely aware of everything he forgave me of on that night in my first decades of walking with him. How could I stay that aware even today? See, that's one of the pursuits of loving God is realizing that his forgiveness is personal and powerful. And he or she who's been forgiven much loves much. Second, if we're gonna grow in holiness, the everyday business of a believer, we're gonna do this. We're gonna seek to eliminate any trace of sin from our lives. And what I mean by this is we're not gonna be comfortable with a gap between us and God. We know that Jesus bridges that gap, but we're not gonna be comfortable with a gap between us and God. Now, there have been some things in, in my life and some things in your life where you've grown comfortable with some things and some habits and practices and attitudes and words. You've grown comfortable with some things that God would be very uncomfortable with in your life. You're comfortable with the gap that Jesus has already closed. You're creating a gap that Jesus has already closed. And if we're going to grow in holiness, one of the things that we seek to do is to eliminate any trace of sin from our lives. And you say, Mike, that is a standard far too high for anyone to keep. And I say, yes, it is. And that's why we must thank God that we don't keep it on our own. We keep it by the power of the one who saved us, Jesus Christ. We keep it by the power of the one who lives in us, the Holy Spirit. We keep it by the power of the Father who leads and guides our life. We don't do it on our own. Mike, that standard is far too high. Can I also remind you that many of us seek to eliminate things from our life on a daily basis, and we do it successfully? Some of you have eliminated donuts from your life on a daily basis. I do not trust you people, <laughs> but you've done it. Some of you have eliminated all beef products from your life. I do not relate to you people, but I think it's a big missed steak, but I, that's, that's what I think. But you realize that you can decide to eliminate whatever you decide to eliminate. If you decide to lose some pounds and you eliminate donuts for a season, I could do that. If I want to deal with carcinogenics and other things and I eliminate certain foods, I can do that. But when it comes to being holy, like that's a standard that no one can keep. Why is it that we only eliminate things on our terms instead of God's terms? Here's a question for you. How holy does God want for you and me to be? As we read in the New Testament, there's this section in Scripture where God says, be holy as I am holy. How holy does God want you to be? How holy is he? 
How holy does God want you to grow, man, woman, couple, single adult, student? He wants you to grow to be as holy as he is. He's not spoiled by sin, so we shouldn't lower our standard to a standard that we could meet. Instead, we should strive to be holy as God is holy. That's a game changer. I am not my standard. God is. You are not my standard. God is. Who I used to be is not my standard. God is the standard. So I'm going to grow to be holy as he is holy. One of the ways in my life practically and personally that, that I've lived this differently in the last couple years is Christy and I have stopped watching any movies that are rated past PG-13. Now, we never watched any of the nasty R-rated movies. Like, we had limits, right? Because there are certain things you shouldn't see, certain things you shouldn't ingest. But we, we made a decision a couple years ago, no R-rated movies at all, which is really great with my eyesight these days. Because if the rating on Netflix is only one letter, that means it's either an R or a G. And I don't want to watch either one of those. <laughs> right, so that's handy right now. I love it. But you know, we made just a real practical decision. And you say, Pastor, I'm really glad that my pastor doesn't watch R-rated movies anymore. Where would God call you to take a step of holiness? with what you are ingesting, with what you are doing, with what you are thinking and practicing. See, the idea of an unchanging Christian is a contradiction in terms. And God calls us to be holy as he is holy. And then last, if we're going to be about the everyday business of holiness, we're going to be like Isaiah, and we're going to say, God, constantly use me and lead me as you deem best. And this is a key step in the life of a disciple. A disciple is one who has believed in Jesus for life and is following him with all of their lives. And so if you're going to grow as a disciple, you're going to be saying, God, use me constantly. Lead me always. It's this dependence upon his Holy Spirit that leads you to grow in holiness and filters your convictions and tweaks your heart on issues. There are things that God can change in you if you would simply say, God, my holiness, it's not just avoiding sin, but my holiness is being 100% devoted to you. So God, lead me, God, use me, God, change me, because I am following you. And as you think about it today, that's the God I wish you knew, the God who's holy. Let's pray together. Father, thanks for the chance to open your word, to learn and to grow together. Help us to apply this to our lives and to live it out. Church family, I'm sure there are lots of things that you need to think about or pray about as you work through who God is and who you are. Maybe you need God to tweak your convictions. Maybe you need God to say, hey, I need a, you to see me bigger than you see me right now. I don't know what God has convicted you of or dealt with you on, but you talk to him about that. If you're here today and you're not a believer in Jesus, that Savior that Isaiah described, the word became flesh, the Bible says, and dwelt among us. His name is Jesus.
He lived a perfect life just as the prophet said he would. Then he died on a cross, was raised again three days later to prove that he's God and to offer us life. If you've never believed in Jesus for life, you're accountable to God for your sins. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by him. So I invite you to believe right now and find life in Jesus. If today's your day, you can mark it with a prayer. You can pray. Jesus, I believe. I believe that I'm a sinner who needs a Savior and that you are the Savior of the world. Thank you for coming for me, for dying in my place and being raised again from the dead. Today, I believe. Thank you for giving me life.